All right. Um, we've been in this series on James, and we are right at halfway through, a little bit better than that after we get done today. Uh, James chapter 3, and we're looking at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 today, where James talks to us about two different kinds of wisdom. And so, first of all, we're just going to start with a text and uh, listen to that. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from, from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Father, take this word, your holy word, and speak into our lives today. Help us, Lord, to hear what your spirit has to say to each one of us. Though it may be different for each person in this room, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to tune our ears, to hear the word of scripture, and to hear what your spirit has to say through it to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. In my Bible reading this week, um, I came across this proverb, Proverbs 11, verse uh, 2, that says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. And it's interesting that that also ties together these two things, humility and wisdom, as our text does today, um, Wisdom is not found anywhere where there is pride and arrogance. Because wisdom, true, godly wisdom, comes from humility. Yet our text today says that deeds done in humility come from wisdom. So you kind of notice there in Proverbs that wisdom comes from humility... And in James, deeds done in humility come from wisdom. It's almost a, you know, a cat and mouse situation. It's almost a chicken and egg argument as to which one comes from which. But the bottom line is this. Humility and wisdom are two peas in a pod. They really are like inseparable twins. If you're truly wise, there will be a sense of humility about you. And if you are truly humble, that will grow and stretch the ability to have wisdom within your life. The King James um, uses the word meekness when it gets into this, talking about humility and um, wisdom. Meekness was a word that was used to describe a horse that had been broken so that its power was under control. 
Now, you have probably seen times in your life when you have seen the power of a horse that was out of control. The damage that a horse that is out of control could do. But this wisdom, this meekness, this humility is about a horse that is under control and it can do great good because of that um, that power being brought under control. It is, this is, you know, this is a humility that accomplishes great things. A lot of times when we think of a humble or meek person, we think of a person who doesn't ever accomplish anything. <laughs> That's not the case at all, biblically. Um, in, in fact, the person in the Bible who is humble is a person who accomplishes a great deal, partly because they have humility, but also because they have their power channeled and brought under control to accomplish good things instead of evil things, instead of bad things. So the humble person who is wise leaves behind them a trail of good deeds instead of evil deeds. Now, Beyond tying these two words together, humility and wisdom, James is committed to telling us that there are two different kinds of wisdom that we have access to. There is worldly wisdom, and there is heavenly wisdom. There is earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. There is human wisdom and God's wisdom. There is false wisdom and true wisdom. And so we are to be aware of that. Now, Jane, or, or Paul, when he gives his um, benediction, closing words in uh, Romans, he gives this benediction and he says, Now to him, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And you'll see that Paul says that God is the only wise God. God. True wisdom is, of course, rooted in a relationship with God. God alone is truly wise. And if you and I ever have any chance of being really wise, we have to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to be in relationship with God if we have any hopes of being wise because only God is truly wise. Tozer describes the wisdom of God in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. And he says, Wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. Now, I just want you to stop and process that. When have you ever done that? <laughs> to the ability to devise, to come up with a perfect ends. What is the perfect thing you want to accomplish? And we can't even figure that out most of the time. And then he says, it is also the ability to achieve that purpose in the most perfect means, in the most perfect way. So it's knowing exactly where you want to go and having the exact right place you want to go and knowing exactly how to get there in the most perfect way. That's wisdom. So that's what God can do that we can't do. And then he says, it sees the end from the beginning. And a lot of times, we simply can't see beyond tomorrow. We can't see beyond what's going to happen in the next hour. So it's hard for us to devise perfect ends because we can't see the end from the beginning. 
We certainly can't see the beginning. We can't see the end. Only God can do that. So there can be no need to guess or conjecture. Wisdom sees everything in focus. In even each improper relationship to all, and is thus able to work towards predestined goals with flawless precision. <laughs> now, when you stop and you, I mean that—that's quite a mouthful. There, you stop and think about how perfect and how wonderful God is. That is the perfect definition of wisdom, and is rooted in God. And I just want to make the point that if we have any hopes of being wise, we really have to know this God. (laughs) He's the only God who can give us the wisdom that that begins to even look like this. Um, As fuzzy as it might be when we attempt it. So, first of all, I want to talk to you this morning about earthly wisdom. The wisdom that you and I can get uh, from just here on earth, uh, from living here apart from God. The source of that is, of course, man. With all of our experiences, with all of our feelings uh, and emotions, with all of our intellect and reason and rationality, and then... Satan, and the principalities that he has, and the way that he influences our minds and all of that. You you just watch the whole school debate, and you can just see the whole, um, how how earthly wisdom is woven into all of that. You know, and we're we're so far off target in the um, the whole discussion of how do we protect our kids in schools. Because there is no, no discussion of God in that whole subject. No discussion of, of any of that. It's just earthly. It's just mind and, and man thinking this and feeling that. And, and emotions are running high. And, you know, over here you got people who think they know everything. And, and you've just got all of this. But it's all man-centered and all of that. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, he says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than, the human, than human wisdom. <laughs> the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now, there's a couple of um, biblical examples uh, that we, we find in the Bible. And in um, Genesis chapter 11... Um, you find the story of Lot, not um, the Tower of Babel, um, before the story of Lot, but the Tower of Babel and the whole world. You know, here's, here's, here's people who have human wisdom. The whole world has one language and a common speech, and as they moved eastward, they said to each other, Come, let us make breaks, bricks and bake them thoroughly, and then... Um, Let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. And, you know, man's wisdom, they thought they were so smart. And what is the result of human wisdom in this passage? Total confusion. (laughs) God God gives them all different languages and and all the mess that we live with today and and the breakdown of communication and all of that. Um, It's all right here. It started with human wisdom. 
You go over to Genesis chapter um, 13, and you, you have the story of, of Abram and Lot. And they, they have too many flocks, and so they decide to separate. And, and Abram says, Lot, we've got to separate. Um, where do you want? And Lot looked around. He saw the very best land available, and he says, well, I want this land. Again, he didn't take God into account. It was just man's wisdom. He looked around and said, well, this looks like the best thing for me to do. And he just, you know, went right there. No consulting with God, anything at all. He didn't care about God's wisdom. He went with man's wisdom. And he chose what was very best, what looked to be very best. Abraham, on the other hand, didn't do that. Abraham took the leftovers and then God said to him, look around, east, west, north, and south. All of this I will give to your descendants and all of that. But you see two people there, or two examples there, the Tower of Babel people and Lot, who, who just used man's wisdom, earthly wisdom, to guide their lives. Now, the characteristic of earthly wisdom, the King James and the NIV both use similar words. First of all, it's earthly. It just it, it originates with us. <laughs> Secondly, um, they use the word sensual or unspiritual. In other words, there's no accounting for anything that you can't feel or touch or hear or see. Everything is just what's out there before me, and that's all I take into account. I don't take into account the spiritual realm at all. It's what I can sense. It's what I can feel. It's what I, you know, how I wake up feeling this morning is what's going to guide the way I live today. That's earthly wisdom. Instead of taking God into account and taking the spiritual into account, taking prayer into account and all of that. And then the last word that they use in this, the King James uses the word devilish, uh, NIV says demonic, both referring to the same thing, but there is a source to earthly wisdom, an ultimate source, and it's, it's, it's worse than man. <laughs> it's devilish, it's demonic, it's, it's the power of Satan that he controls the thoughts of unsaved and unregenerated and unborn-again people. And so if we look for earthly wisdom, the characteristics are not going to be very good for us. The, the last characteristic that I want to mention this morning is that earthly wisdom will exalt self. You basically end up living for whatever you think is best for you, and, and you don't take into account God or anything else, and you believe that your own judgment is better than the judgment of God for your life. And it results in envy and egos and all that kind of stuff. So what are the results? What are the results of earthly wisdom? Well, first of all, it results in competition. If you and I are, are living our lives based on earthly wisdom, we are going to constantly constantly be in competition with other people. And as a result of that, there's going to be boasting and bragging and evil deeds. Now, it's interesting that when you look at James chapter 3, the context of that is he, he opens the chapter talking about teachers. 
And then he gets down here talking about wisdom and two deadly sins of teachers are bitter envy, selfish ambition. You just deal with preachers. Just go to a ministerial retreat sometime (laughs) and see if there isn't selfish envy and selfish ambition. It's there. Go to a teacher convention. See if there isn't selfish ambition and bitter envy. Because we all have this desire. You know, we're kind of people up who are up front anyway. And we have this desire to kind of be a rock star. <laughs> and we find it hard to rejoice in the success of other people and not to try to put down the success of other people. We find that difficult. And so a big question for us is this, for all of us to consider. Can we praise someone without criticizing them? Can we just simply praise someone without having to put the big word but in there (laughs) and then tear them down to size? He goes through and talks about these four things in in specific... He specifically labels four things here in terms of the results of earthly wisdom. Number one is envy. Where you and I just live in a plane where we are constantly envious of someone else. I personally don't think the oil boom has helped that at all in McKenzie County. (laughs) We have more and we are more envious today than we were 10 years ago. And we will do more evil deeds to one another over dollars that we would have never considered 10 years ago. So I just want to say to you today, be careful that earthly wisdom is not ruling your heart with the resources we have today in McKenzie County. Second one is selfish ambition. Where there is earthly wisdom... We will find ourselves constantly under this stress of selfish ambition and just trying always to get ahead, especially of someone else. Strife um, is another word that is used in other translations to um, model that, but earthly wisdom will result in simply strife with one another. And then... He uses the word disorder or confusion, as you see in uh, Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. Um, Instability. There's just, you know, wherever there's earthly wisdom, you just find disorder and confusion and instability. And then, again, without humility, which earthly wisdom doesn't have, without humility... You don't have the powers that you have brought under control, so you end up with evil deeds. You end up acting like a horse who has not been disciplined, and you just do things. You destroy things that you're trying to help. <laughs> and that's, that's the result of earthly wisdom. So that's earthly wisdom, and I need to get to heavenly wisdom because it would be a bad thing if I preached and ended on this note, wouldn't it? So, <laughs> so I want to talk to you about heavenly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom, the source of that is completely different. The source of heavenly wisdom is God's truth and his revelation of that truth. What is that revelation? Well, number one, it's his word. 
And so we, we hold this to be the source, the fountainhead of all wisdom can be found here. And we need to be in the Word if we are going to be wise people. But secondly, Christ is wisdom. And a relationship with Christ gives us wisdom. And then there is the Holy Spirit who has, has come to reveal and to reveal the truth of Scripture and to, and to speak to us and to lead us and direct us. And so it is through God's uh, truth and it is through his revelation of that truth that we receive wisdom that is from heaven. Now Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When he talks about fear there, he's talking about awe. He's talking about reverence. He's not talking about being scared of, but he's talking about a reverence for God and a reverence for the things of God and for for the way God thinks about things. It's about um, just taking the things that I'm thinking about and trying to think about how would God look upon this situation? What would God want me to think about this? What would God want me to feel about this? What would God want me to do about this situation and thinking about it from that perspective. That's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. John Calvin, who as a Wesleyan, we don't quote very often, but John Calvin did say some really good things um, occasionally for you Baptists. Um, (laughs) So John Calvin said, nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, not earthly wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. In other words, he's saying if we are really going to be wise in the way that we live our lives, we have to know God. And as we get to know God, we also have to come to really understand who we are, who he has made us, what makes us tick, and all of those kind of things, what our weaknesses are, and what our strengths are. And we have to understand ourselves, if we are going to be filled with heavenly wisdom, we have to understand God, and we have to understand ourselves. Now, when you go to the Bible and you look for examples of biblical wisdom or heavenly wisdom, you find, uh, like in Numbers, uh, chapter uh, 12, you find, you find his, uh, Moses' brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron, um, they start grumbling because they have earthly wisdom and they are competing and they don't like the fact that Moses is the big, you know, big boss over the other two siblings. And so they, they, they're filled with selfish envy and um, selfish ambition and envy and all of that, and they start criticizing him because he has married a Cushite wife, and they don't like that and all of that. And so, and then the next words in verse 3, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, now Moses was a very humble man, or the King James again says, the meekest man on the face of the earth. The NIV says, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And God disciplined Miriam and Aaron for their earthly wisdom. But Moses had heavenly wisdom there. Moses led those Israelites through those 40 years. I can't imagine. I mean, (laughs) 
I can't I would never want to pastor the Israelites. <laughs> Anytime, anywhere, no way. <laughs> God, I don't want that job. Moses didn't want it either, but he had it. And he had, God gave him wisdom, heavenly wisdom, to lead the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness uh, through all of that. But he was humble. That, that connection was there. So there's, there's Moses. And then you go back to some of those same passages that we were looking at with, um, with Lot, and you have Abraham. And, and of course, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 13, um, Lot and Abraham separate. I've already gone through that, where, where Abraham doesn't just concern himself, well, you know, I'm going to take care of myself before I take care of my nephew. I'm just going to grab this and fight for myself. No, he lets Lot have what Lot thinks is the best, and he trusts God with him. That was heavenly wisdom uh, for him. And then um, in, in Genesis chapter 19, Lot goes from one thing to another. He got the best lamb, but what did he do with it? Not very, not very much. He allowed the influences of the people of that land to cloud his judgment, to cloud the way he lived, the way he thought, the way he felt, the way all of that, and he ends up in trouble, and Abraham has to go rescue him. Abraham has the wisdom to step in there, and, and, and you remember... There's so much earthly wisdom in Lot and his family that Lot's wife did what? She longed for the earthly wisdom instead of God's wisdom, and she turned back and looked at Sodom and Gomorrah, and she turned into a pillar of salt. Because she valued what the world had to say more than the wisdom that God had for her. So what are the results or the characteristics of, of um, heavenly wisdom? Well, number one, humility. It's, humility is key. Um, it's good life, a good life with good deeds. It is the honor of God. It's deeds done in humility. And so, again, it's power brought under control to accomplish good things in your life. That's the result of humility lived out in wisdom. So what are the results? Well, instead of competition, you have cooperation where we can now work together to accomplish something good. There are good deeds um, working together. And then James goes through in in this passage in James chapter 3, and he talks about eight different results of heavenly wisdom And the first one is something that we don't think a lot about. But it's purity. Another word for that would be holiness. And it's it's a matter of heavenly wisdom is concerned about maintaining the honor of God and the reverence for God and for the things that God believes and God, um, the truth of God and all of those kind of things. It is a reverence for all of that. And I want you to catch the word, because it's only used once in all of this list. But as soon as he talks about purity, then it says, then, peace-loving. 
Then is not used in anywhere else in the list. And it's there for a purpose because he wants us to understand that heavenly wisdom is not first concerned with peace at any price. Heavenly wisdom is always concerned about the truth and the revelation of God before it is concerned with peace. Always holiness, purity, and then peace. So when we are dealing with outright sin, our first concern is not peace at any price. I just want to love you and hug you and, and uh, not say anything, not confront, not deal with anything. So it's purity first and then peace. Because the first characteristic is always that of purity. Peace at any price today will never lead to peace tomorrow. Now you can, you could also, I could go on for a tirade uh, today in, in the political realm. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't have time for that, fortunately for you. But peace at any price today will never lead to peace tomorrow. There is a time when you have to take a stand and you have to be firm and all of that today if you have any hope of having peace tomorrow. The third thing he says is considerate and gentle. This is a person, this, this person who has heavenly wisdom is a person who doesn't deliberately cause fights. But they also don't compromise the truth in order to keep the peace. This person has the ability to love the sinner while hating the sin, and being very clear about both. Now, I want to tell you, in, in this matter, when you are dealing with that, the person that you are confronting will often not feel loved, even if you genuinely love them. <laughs> That's reality. We have to accept that reality, but our first responsibility is always to God, not to that person. Always to God. God is always our first responsibility. But we should be able to be considerate, to be able to love the sinner while hating the sin. The fourth word he uses there is the word submissive. Another way of translating that word would be to be approachable or reasonable. This is a person who can disagree with you without being disagreeable and have dialogue. That's something our culture has completely lost. I get so tired of news networks anymore. Even the very best of them. I mean, they just turn into squabbling mat matches and you can't even hear what either party's saying because there is, there is no ability anymore in our culture to disagree and still, you know, not be disagreeable. We just have shouting matches now for news. That's because it's all rooted in earthly wisdom. There's no heavenly wisdom where you and I can sit down and disagree and have a discussion that might produce some fruit. No, we're just arguing our points back and forth and shooting right across the person. They don't even hear what we say and um, we don't hear anything they say. So there is a submissiveness about heavenly wisdom that is approachable and reasonable and all of that. Fifthly, he says we are full of mercy, full of mercy. We can extend to others grace and mercy 
Um, they may not deserve it, but neither do I deserve any of the mercy or grace I've been given. I, I think back over the years, I've been your pastor, I've done some mighty stupid things. <laughs> and I've been given a lot of grace and mercy over the years. Good fruit. Good fruit. Practical deeds done in humility. That's heavenly wisdom. And then notice this word, he says, impartiality. In other words, again, and, and James is going to go into that, I think, next week, I think, is our text for that, uh, where he talks about favoritism and just, you know, playing favorites. I, I, I can go back and I can tell you, um, you, you, can, you can think about your own family, think about who was the favorite. <laughs> I can think about who was favorite here and there and somewhere else, and and the issues that caused, because there was always that pecking order kind of behind the scenes and all of that. James says heavenly wisdom doesn't favor people. It doesn't, you know, you don't approach a person and just automatically put them down in your mind or automatically exalt them. You approach them as a person and in the image of God. And then he says sincerity. Without hypocrisy or facade, without a mask, we are genuine, we are real. People can look at us and, and they see what they get or they get what they see. Um, either way, these are people that are able to speak the truth in love and they're just real. They're not pretending to be anything with anyone. Dr. Henry Cloud gives us some real practical words of instruction I want to close on this morning. He says, in terms of listening, if we're going to practice heavenly wisdom, in terms of listening, one of the things that we so often don't do in our culture today is we really don't listen to each other. And one of the things that he suggests that we do more often to each other is when someone is done talking, instead of just jumping in with our solution to the whole world's problems, is ask this question, have you told me the last 10%? Hmm. Have you said the last 10% that you really want to say to me? Make sure that you have really listened before you respond. Proverbs 18.13 says that when we give an answer before we understand, we are a fool. We need to make sure that we are hearing and listening to one another. And then he deals with anger. And of course, you know, the old adage that you, you choose to haul water to a fire rather than a gas can. And he says one of the things that we can do when we're dealing with a person... Um, who's angry at us or expressing anger over something else is simply say, sit down and say, tell, I can sense you're angry. Tell me about it and listen. And too often, we don't do that. We don't, we don't want to risk someone blowing up on us. But sometimes that would be the solution to a lot of the problems is 
sit down and tell me what you're really thinking and feeling and all of that. And he says, when you're angry, when you're angry, failing to confront others or flattering them or denying what they've done or minimizing it makes us part of the problem. Um, this is me to a T. Leviticus says that if we don't confront people, we share in the guilt. And uh, Henry Cloud says we need to go hard on the issue sometimes and soft on the person. A gentle answer turns away wrath. And then we have to, be, we have to remind ourselves often that we need to start confrontation with the person, not in public and not in gossip. We need to start with the person. So in closing today, I want to just read this text, and I know I've gone over, so uh, I'll spare you from uh, a closing song this morning. Um, but I want to read this text from the message. Uh, it's a paraphrase, and it just says it so well. Do you want to be counted wise? To build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourselves sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart, and everyone ends up at each other's throats. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other treating each other with dignity and with honor.